In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Solids become liquids. Everything becomes gas. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Science is wonderfully easy and everything's true. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. Me and my friend We're alone again We're trapped in a cell Of a making Running human, everybody Running human What the hell is that, man? What are you doing? It's not so hard to sound like Randy Newman You just kind of have to sound like something between Retarded and Elvis Costello I sing about pigs and cartoon dogs and shit. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everybody! Disney paid me millions of dollars. And I sound like this, but I never miss. The shot at the Oscars, yeah. Chair, chair. No, never me. Yeah, the Oscars, me, me, me. Every week, it's another thing, man. Last week, you're doing some lame ass commercial for Whitley's new book. This right. week, it's singing. Critical mass. Yeah, that's right. It rhymes with ass, as I remember. <laughs> yeah, you do remember. Yeah, that. well, it's. It, I guess. That, See, it's catchy. That's good advertising. <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I don't, you know, it's not like we're doing anything. We're just sort of sitting around here, and uh, you know, this is uh, the worst vacation I've ever had. Frankly, not that I'm blaming you. Well, <laughs> as well, you shouldn't. Oh, uh, I mean, what do you suggest I do if I'm not going to be able to sing? Uh, well, we could go through some uh, some listener mail real quick. We have listener mail. We do, right? do actually. Yeah, we got listeners huh. from listeners from actual listeners. Yes, that, like, people who listen to us. That, yeah, are you not getting the point here? Yeah, I, do. I don't know why I need a full definition of listener mail, but oh. go ahead. Yeah, sure. Let's. Uh, uh, this is from Sarah M. She says, I really love the show. I particularly like Dr. McKenna's episode, but all of them have been great so far. Keep up the good work, guys. We love you. She's from Queensland. And what are her measurements? Because I'm from Queens. Uh, I, all I can give you is her IP. And I, I, don't, I don't think we should read that. No. Um, here's well, one. that's nice. Here's, well, wait a minute. Are we going to actually answer her, or are we just going to go through them and read them? Thank you, baby. <laughs> good enough. Go on. Uh, 
Here's one from uh, Mike. Mike says, guys, really love the McKenna interview, but I also really like... Uh, wait a minute. Ball, balls on chin? Uh, you know. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, Mike. Sorry. Uh, That's something I like. I, I'm thinking that he thinks McKenna is somehow... Um, Dennis is somehow intricately involved in ufology or something like that uh, because he says, I really like when you get into guys like uh, Dr. Matlow, who has really not much to do at all with ufology, but more with NASA and space exploration. Keep up the great work. We love the show. Uh, that's from him and his wife, Karen. Oh, that's loving. So, uh, yeah, well, McKenna, you know, uh, Dennis McKenna is is not really into, the, he's a botanist, so, I mean, that's uh, uh, that's kind of outside the realm, and that was, uh, that was a pretty great interview. And speaking of which, we have one here. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> what the? Um, is that the cuckoo clock? That's the cuckoo clock. Hold on, let me stop that real, real quick. And <laughs> uh, yeah, we should leave that in. Uh, <laughs> I need to break the fourth wall in a quality episode like this. Yeah, I. Uh, well, anyway. So here's one. Uh, this is from uh, James. And uh, James just wrote us tonight as of, uh, uh, as of uh, 11.23 p.m. Um uh, and James says, uh, regarding the McKenna episode, one of the worst interviews to listen to. Huh. I'm sorry, but McKenna needs to stop with uh, you know every two seconds. But I say you know every two seconds. Well, here's the thing. Go ahead. And, and this, is, this is often what, what makes me hysterical sometimes, is that you know this guy actually had to sit down at a computer after listening to the show, <laughs> open an email, address it, type this in, and hit the send button. <laughs> So, <laughs> job well done, James. Yeah, thanks, James. You got all of those in. Uh, so, if if that's the only complaint for the episode, then he must have liked it. Um, you know, 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 you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If that's if that's your biggest critique, <laughs> if that's your biggest critique of anything, hey, yeah. you, you hey. should probably yeah not uh, not open your mouth. But that's. That's just me. I don't want to scare people off from from writing uh, critiques. No, of you know, it's not. Of course. I mean, it can't all be love and roses, but but then does it have to be, you know, stupid? Well, we've <laughs> certainly encountered much love and roses lately. Uh, That's true, and, and stupid, but <laughs> but not from our own board. Funny enough. No, no, everybody. Uh, and James, James, all seriousness, I, you know. It, I mean that honestly. You know, if that's if that's the only thing that you know you uh, have a problem with, you know, so. That's <laughs> you know what's good about our board is that when we, when, when we started uh, doing a, a forum together, uh, we, we were psyched about being able to control it ourselves so that we wouldn't put up with obnoxiousness, and we haven't had any real obnoxiousness. No. Uh-uh. No, everybody's, uh, everybody's been great to us. We've got a lot of smart people on our board, and they, they're willing to like open their mouths and share, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost like proud of it, you know? <laughs> Uh, dare I say? Dare I say? Proud of a message board? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody's gonna uh, beat you down on our board for whatever you might think. Um, I, I think well, I will. You know, I mean, well, eventually, I'm gonna. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it's a pretty good group and uh, and growing by the day. So, I mean, we're getting. Well, that's the other surprising thing to me is how quickly all of this is growing. It's like it's ridiculous. It is. It is pretty ridiculous. And. Uh, Soon the world, <laughs> and, and and you know James, um, <laughs> James. At least you're listening. 
So thank you for your letter anyway. I know we're, we we roasted you over, but, you know, all seriousness, thanks for listening anyway. But well, you're saying you know. It's just, yeah, it's just something that people do, do when they're, instead of saying, uh, uh, <laughs> people say you know. Uh, so anyway, thanks for your letter and thanks for listening. You know, we hope we can, you know, get some better stuff in, you know, later. You know. You know. But for now, suck it. Wait, no, that's not how. See, that's not the kind of embracing environment we want to create. No. All right, Jeffrey, we've learned our lessons for the day. So who's the uh, guest this evening? The victim will be Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips. The, the no, I know. Don't don't tell me this. He's the okay. inventor of the Phillips head screwdriver. Correct. <clears throat> Hel- hello. Um, he's a uh, the uh, head of the Center for Physical Trace Research. Um, oh. and, and Ted, um, uh, he's a director actually for the Center of UFO Research. Right. Uh, he's the uh, engineer, professional photographer, professional musician. He was a participant in the Vanguard Satellite Tracking Program and a field engineer on the Minuteman Missile Project. He began investigating UFO reports in 1964. I was not born. Uh, he, he was a research associate of Dr. J. Allen Honig from 1968 until Dr. Honig's death in 1986. And it was at uh, Honig's suggestion that he began specializing in physical traces with UFO sightings in 1968. This man has investigated hundreds of UFO cases, and his files contain uh, just, I think, shy of 4,000 physical trace cases uh, from 91 countries. And tonight, he's going to be talking uh, with us about the Marley Woods. uh, We've been jamming. Very interesting. Jamming too. That that Marley. Uh, uh, He's a musician. You know, maybe he'll enjoy my uh, my opening bit because he's a musician. Hello. Or maybe you should just delete it and we should start over. <laughs> why, do you, why do you why do you say such things? Are <laughs> so, Marley Woods. Eh? Marley Woods. There's some. Well, let me press. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I said, uh, now go ahead, please. No, I don't ahead. wish to interrupt, please. Well, I was just going to start the show and end the bit. Go ahead. But... Well, all right. Let me uh, press my magic button here <clears throat> and. Uh... Let's begin the Yuck Fest with Ted Phillips. <laughs> Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. Can you can you give us like a, a brief overview of Marley Woods and what's going on there uh, currently? You bet. Uh, currently, as usual, lots going on. Uh, Marley Woods, um, of course, is a uh, fake name. Uh, because the uh, the many witnesses there uh, have not gone public, they want no publicity, and they don't want the location revealed. And uh, I wish it could be other than that, because I'm, as you can tell from the website, uh, I'm a person that likes to make information available to the public. And uh, the good thing is that our research, investigation, and the data therefrom uh, to a large part, is on the website. So we can't use names or locations, but we can sure uh, get the information out there. And Marley, uh, at its undisclosed uh, location, uh, is an area, it's a very remote area, heavily wooded, uh, hilly, rough country. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the primary activity occurs inside an area that measures about a mile and a half east to west and about uh, two and a half miles north to south. And uh, at uh, in December of 1998, I received a call from uh, what we call the Site 1 property owner, uh, and he and his family had had a very uh, close encounter with... Uh, some truly strange stuff, and they have a, a cattle ranch uh, in Marley, and uh, they were driving to the ranch when this occurred, and uh, he was greatly disturbed by it, and so he called me and asked if I would come and uh, and investigate it on the quiet, and so ten years later, um, I have on files six hundred and twenty-five reported events. <laughs> and a file of 223 witnesses. And uh, these are uh, people from every realm, from uh, farmers, ranchers, attorneys, uh, mayors, bank officials, and so on. And um, they're really uh, highly credible people. And, you know, one thing I always gauge the credibility of a report by is if the witness is wanting a lot of publicity. Right. And uh, you don't make up a big fat lie and not tell anyone. <laughs> right, exactly. These 223 people have done just that, not make it up a big fat lie, but have not told anyone. So, uh, and the reports are, they cover just about the entire UFO spectrum. Uh-huh. With the exception of little guys, uh, there have been no humanoid reports, okay. uh, and I'm really kind of amazed at that. Um, you know, there's a, a decent percentage of uh, the, if I could say, standard UFO cases uh, involving humanoids, and that has not yet happened there. But well, let me ask you: uh, Does um, is that the standard for these? particular uh, hot spots as well? Um, you know, is that the same for, does Skinwalker have humanoid reports, for example? Uh, I believe it did. I believe they, well, yes, they did. Yeah, they had some, uh, at least, large black figures coming through a sort of tunnel or portal or something like that, observed by a couple of the scientists uh, during the investigation. And uh, typically they do. Uh, the... Uh, the ranch in Colorado, um, and it escapes me right now, the owners, but uh, it was similar to Skinwalker, and uh, they had a lot of uh, humanoid activity and Bigfoot activity and that sort of thing. And uh, to date, we've only had one uh, Bigfoot sighting in the Marley Woods, and that was by a very good friend of mine who was on his way home. And uh, uh, Bigfoot is something I've not paid a lot of attention to through the years, but I'm becoming a little more interested now. And uh, uh, Marley has changed my uh, view of this whole business uh, very dramatically. And uh, because the events are so strange and they're so out of the norm for the classic UFO report, um, for uh, starting in 1964, I investigated uh, just uh, cases involving the landing of a UFO and the generation of physical effects where the object has been. In other words, physical evidence. And uh, 
Uh, it was suggested to me uh, four years later in 68 by Dr. J. Allen Hynek, whom I worked with very closely until his death from 68, and that I should specialize in uh, physical trace cases. So I've, I did that, um, still doing it, and right now it might be of interest. Uh, people say, where is the evidence? And I have on file uh, 3,489 trace landing events from 92 countries. So oh. there, there is indeed a lot of physical evidence if science would look at it. Wow. And, uh, but anyway, back to Marley. Um, the events there range from large amber objects, uh, which are seen either singly, uh, they, up, up to as many as 30 of these things at one time. And uh, when the activity gets that heavy, it knocks out uh, cameras and uh, cell phones, anything electrical. It has a, a tremendous EM effect. Oh. And um, those are seen in all kinds of aerial configurations as far as uh, uh, their distribution, there can be a horizontal row of 8 to a horizontal row of 17. There can be a vertical row, diagonal row, singles, doubles, multiples, you wow. name it. And we have uh, oh several hours of video uh, of those. And uh, But the most interesting reports to me are the uh, small light balls. And... Um, those kinds of reports are actually increasing, and uh, the types of light balls, meaning the color, uh, have changed dramatically since last October, uh, where we were getting only reports of white light balls. Uh, starting in October, we uh, uh, were getting red and blue, and uh, the Site, two, site 3 owner, just obtained with a uh, trail camera an excellent image of a uh, uh, blue light ball, a oh. fascinating photo, and uh, that was taken about a week and a half ago by the remote camera. Do they have peculiar behavior to each of the colors, or do they all act the same way? Well, <clears throat> looking, actually, the, the only baseline that I know of is uh, Skinwalker. And uh, the uh, red and blue small objects were the bad guys. And they were very bad guys. And uh, the white ones uh, are just sort of around for whatever purpose and uh, sort of a, uh, a benign uh, object. And we just recently, well, on October 25th, we had a family of four people shoot uh, 15 minutes of video of two of the white light balls 40 feet away, and uh, they give us the absolute uh, best view of a light ball that I've ever seen. And, in fact, they were about uh, basketball size, and uh, when I took the video apart frame by frame um, and enlarged the images uh, even just slightly, you can see that they are not, in fact, just a sphere of uh, illumination, but there seems to be a very brilliant central core of light and <clears throat> around it bringing on this uh, circular uh, configuration. 
is a, uh, a sort of cloudy material that is constantly changing. It's in a very dynamic state. And uh, in one thirtieth of a second, it can change very dramatically. And uh, various colors are seen at various parts of these things. And uh, the two objects finally flew over uh, to a point about 60 feet away and uh, took up a uh, stationary uh, position about three feet above the ground near a uh, uh, pine tree and, uh, again, 60 feet away. And they remained there during the 15 minutes, displaying some horizontal motion, swinging uh, uh, kind of to and fro. And uh, the most interesting thing was that the, uh, uh, the folks also saw a brilliant small red object, a light ball, come in uh, very close uh, to them. It was only about 20 feet away. And the uh, 12-year-old son got some beautiful uh, cell phone photos uh, of this thing. And they also got video. And it's the most intense red that you can ever imagine. Uh, and it was generating quite an electromagnetic effect <clears throat> that resulted in a uh, very heavy wooden picnic table being pushed or pulled uh, several inches several inches in a uh, north-south direction. Huh. And uh, so it was a very dramatic case. And... Uh, and actually fairly typical to that area. What makes the red and the blue bad? Well, what makes them bad, at least at Skinwalker, was that uh, they would knock off dogs and cattle, and uh, I believe one horse at least, and uh, by basically they lured three labs into a uh, uh, small grove of trees and the owners heard the dogs go into absolute uh, panic and pain barking mode. And uh, when they reached them, the uh, light bulbs were gone. But the only thing that was left of the three dogs was sort of a mucky three puddles. Mm. And uh, they're, they're just they're pretty vicious guys. And mm. I don't understand. I can't imagine the color would really make that much difference, but... Uh, we really keep our eyes on the red or the blues. Well, do you think, do you think they're alive, or do you think they, are, they represent technology? What's your feeling on them? You know, that is a very excellent question, and that's one of the things that I've uh, really changed my uh, position on. Uh, I used to believe, well, for 40 years or so, I believed that uh, UFOs were metallic-appearing uh, constructed devices under intelligent control based on the data uh, and quite massive, weighing uh, through analysis uh, 7 to 14 tons. So they had quite a mass. They were real objects. And uh, anything outside of that, I really didn't pay much attention to. And now, uh, these 10 years at Marley, um, I'm beginning to believe, at least in the case of the light balls, um, that they uh, may well be a sort of biomechanical device. And uh, we actually had a trace case up in uh, Michigan where one of these objects collided with an automobile. 
and uh, it hit the top uh, passenger side of the car, and it left. It skidded along the top and then flew away, and uh, it left a uh, kind of yellowish residue on the uh, vehicle. And uh, uh, Phyllis Buttinger at Frontier Analysis, uh, an analytical chemist, analyzed this residue and found that, uh, in fact, this object had been submerged in water, uh, either a pond or something very much like a pond, within an hour or two uh, of the collision. And uh, there were indicators in the, uh, in the analysis that this thing very easily could have been uh, biological and mechanical. So hmm. that, that really kicks the barn door open. Well, for our listeners, keep in mind, basketball-sized biomechanical, because <laughs> we'll mm-hmm. go over that again later. <laughs> very, very uh, possibly, yeah. Um, Ted, is there um, any sightings of, like, structured, what you would deem to be craft around this area, or is it strictly light phenomena uh, of one kind or another? Well, actually, uh, the uh, property owner has taken some excellent daylight video of two structured objects uh, that were flying from east to west, and they are uh, a gray color. They uh, appear to be saucer-shaped, and they seem to have a uh, enlarged or domed section on top. And they were flying along one slightly ahead of the other in a horizontal trajectory at a pretty good speed. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, on the video, the uh, the lead and lower object, without pausing, reverses totally its direction, starts climbing, and flies back to the east, uh, gaining altitude, while the other one went on mm-hmm. to the west. And, uh, of course, we realize that... Uh, Physically, that's a tough thing to do, to reverse direction instantly. Now, they've seen several that have done the instant reversal of direction. Uh, One of the uh, really sort of incredible sightings, uh, several witnesses were at Site 1, and uh, they saw an object that they estimated to be uh, three to 500 feet in length, and uh, they could see the black silhouette, there was no sound, but the entire underneath of the thing was covered with tiny white lights. And as it moved overhead right above them, they could see the silhouette, and the shape was uh, basically a sort of cigar shape. And uh, it passed silently on toward the west. And the really fascinating thing, and by the way, they got video of it, Uh, And uh, the really fascinating thing is that as it was getting toward the west, the thing suddenly split right down the middle into two sections. One section continued on west, and the other section peeled off and headed south. And it was seen by additional witnesses to the south as that section flew over them. And, uh, you know, pretty solid event. And they've seen a couple of those really large jobs. And, uh, as I say, managed to get video of, of the first one. Mm-hmm. And a uh, deputy sheriff saw an enormous, uh, brilliant, white structured object uh, that passed silently uh, in front of him at uh, fairly low altitude and low speed. And he said the thing was the size of a Greyhound bus. Huh. So, in fact, yeah, there have been. As a matter of fact, Last fall, we had uh, two witnesses uh, observe and photograph 
four saucer-shaped objects, which went through all kinds of, of craziness. And uh, that that case is posted on the website, and uh, it's it's too detailed to take up the whole show with, but uh, sure. folks should go read that. It's uh, uh, tremendously fascinating. It was in October of uh, 2008. And the website for that is ufophysical.com, is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. people can check that out. Um, right. There's one thing I've heard you talk about is that with one of the light phenomena uh, that was witnessed or, or you had talked to a witness who had relayed to you that he basically saw what looked like another environment through this mm. light or inside of this light. Can you tell us a lot more about that? Because that's the one I find absolutely fascinating. Well, I do too, and unfortunately, that was at Skinwalker. And, okay. Uh, but we have a comparison. <coughs> excuse me. We have a comparison uh, event that we call the, uh, or the owner of the property calls the North Mystery Light, and he started seeing this thing uh, very much like uh, the uh, owner of Skinwalker. Uh, as it would suddenly become illuminated with this really weird orange color uh, at one position, at one point, almost down in the timber to the north. And uh, so after uh, about seven or eight nights of this thing appearing, and sometimes it will remain stationary there and not do anything for uh, anywhere from one to six, seven minutes, then on other occasions it actually ascends, becomes very big and very bright, all the way from the north around to the east of the ranch and just wink out. And uh, uh, I've seen this. We've, we uh, have gotten some really, really good video of it. And uh, uh, I shot some photos with a 300-millimeter uh, telephoto and, uh, and have seen it through binoculars. And it actually has a, uh, an oval, horizontally oval shape, very sharp uh, outline, which is filled with this truly weird orange color. Uh, it's very bright, and yet it's it's very subtle. Huh. And uh, uh, it's difficult to explain, but it seems to be directional uh, and from its point of origin, and it seems to be in the object itself, the form of the object. Okay. And uh, not shining out of it at all. And uh, at Skinwalker, the guy, the property owner there, uh, would see a very similar object, color and everything. Right. <clears throat> Again, in the same spot uh, many, many times. And uh, he would uh, go to a particular stump, uh, which was the right height for him to kind of kneel down and put his rifle and look through the scope at this thing, and that's when he could see in, uh, inside this, this oval form, uh, rather than the oval, or rather than the orangish light, uh, sometimes he could see what looked like a tree line and blue sky, oh. or blue sky and clouds. So is that and, an object that you're describing, or is it a, a rip into, you know, the fabric of <laughs> space? Uh, boy, that's what we're trying to find out. Uh, this thing is not very far from uh, the Site 1 cabin, and uh, 
we have uh, taken very, very accurate bearings on it, ran some lines out thanks to Google Earth and so forth, and so we know the uh, the line of sight, and uh, Tom and I, <coughs> uh, the second night, we saw this thing two nights in a row in December, and on the second night, Tom and I were positioned about three miles north, east of the farm, the ranch, and uh, so we perhaps could see it at a closer point. And they radioed us uh, from the ranch that it was visible, and we couldn't see it. And uh, there were only two reasons. Either it is absolutely directional and can't be seen from the side, or it was below a uh, ridge that was... Uh, uh, covering a certain area to the west of us. Well, that when we uh, when we ran this line out and so on, we could pretty easily determine that this thing was very close to the ground and uh, within about four thousand to forty five hundred feet from the cabin. So uh, we're kind of laying in wait for it. It hopes we found an interesting thing on uh, a couple of the videos. Uh, when the object finally winks out, and what it does, it seems to go into itself. In other words, like uh, an old-type camera aperture. Uh, when you snap the shutter and the shutter opens and then it closes, and you watch those shutter leaves go into each other and close off the aperture, uh, and that seems to be what it does, but when we started looking at the video, the very last frames, one at a time, in one thirtieth of a second, it went from being this normal appearance and uh, to a uh, orangey streak that went to the ground. Huh. So there may well be a sight back in there, and that's what we're working on. Uh, we've been kind of held up because of uh, an enormous ice and snowstorm there. And uh, which did an awful lot of damage and no electricity for about two and a half weeks. Wow. <laughs> so, so we're just some, kind of getting back in. Hmm? Does does this seem to be um, seasonal at all? No, no, not at all. I, no, I have I have uh, looked at these at this stuff statistically from every angle I can think of, and it is as far as I can see so far uh, totally unpredictable and. As a matter of fact, the, the big biggest problem, there's activity there, I am totally convinced, every night somewhere in that area. But the problem is you have to be in the right place at the right time. Right. And right. Uh, sometimes the activity is for just brief seconds, and sometimes it's for almost two hours. Well, have you lucked out and managed to get, I mean, how close have you managed to get to, to say, like the ground light uh, masses? Oh, the light balls? Yeah, the masses. Uh, I mean, how close have you actually been able to get to it? And and I have to ask that that the the one shot that I see on your homepage, which is the really bright orange light that looks to be right near the ground, mm -hmm. uh, that's shot through some trees. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when something's that close, are you? Are you, I mean, I'm sure you're cautious with how you approach something like that, not knowing what it is. But mm -hmm. has anyone ever tried a, a landowner or anyone maybe before you showed up to? Uh, to do your work there, has anyone ever walked up on one of these things very, very close? Well, people actually, uh, we have witnesses to the light balls uh, who have, uh, well, I'll give you a quick example. 
the uh, and then we'll get back to this big light mass. That's a very interesting thing. Uh, we had a, a uh, an event not long ago where two attorneys, a couple, uh, were total skeptics, but they'd heard rumors from a local or two, and they went out to kind of watch for some odd lights and didn't really know what to look for. And they were standing outside their car, and they were standing 10 feet apart. And uh, to the north, about 900 to 1,000 feet, they see clusters of these small white light balls moving around. And the light balls generally uh, maintain uh, an altitude of from the ground to the treetops. They don't get a lot of elevation. And so anyway, they just seem to be frolicking around up there in the tree line. And all of a sudden, two of the lights separate from the cluster and come directly toward the two people. And as they approach, uh, one of the two lights suddenly makes a right-angle turn and heads east and disappears in trees. The remaining light continues toward them, and it passed between these two people who were 10 feet apart at shoulder height. And uh, there was no sound, there was no heating, no cooling, no air disturbance, no uh, electrical effect or anything. And as they turned, they watched the fly across the gravel road, across the field, made a right-angle turn and went into a, uh, a group of trees and disappeared. So, yes, they get quite close. Uh, we've had a number of cases where they have been that close. The closest point that I personally have been was five nights ago uh, when I saw first a, uh, a light ball to the north uh, at the edge of uh, a uh, large grove of trees at a distance of about, oh, 700 feet. And then uh, I walked to the west side of the cabin and was calling my wife on the cell, and I saw two coming out of the woods 60 feet from me. And uh, I'm telling you, it is a truly weird sight because no matter how much of this stuff I've been around, <laughs> yeah. uh, you don't get used to that sort of a sight because the really spooky thing about it uh, is no sound, no engines, no wings, no visible means of support. You're getting and reflected was, light on the ground, right? I mean, are, you're, no, I mean with this no light on the ground whatsoever. They really? don't do that, no. No, uh -huh. they do not. They do not illuminate anything around them. How bizarre! And, uh, that. Yeah, I mean that is weird stuff. But uh, to see these two side by side, they look like uh, probably four feet apart, maybe three feet off the ground, weaving in and out through the trees and just casually moving along. And yet, here's the trick: they were flying directly into a forty to fifty mile an hour wind. So there's no question they are powered. Wow. I mean so, I mean here's the thing I got to ask you you're in a you're in an area that's pretty remote. This is cattle ranch country and probably farming community and and um I was born and raised around that kind of area and mm -hmm. they don't typically fool around. So have you ever heard of anybody laying a 30 odd 6 on one of these things and pulling a trigger? <laughs> You know, I gotta ask. <laughs> well, no, it's funny you ask because I do know of two instances where uh, a couple of guys are out, uh, I think probably poaching deer at night, <laughs> uh, 
But uh, since I don't use names, it doesn't matter, I guess. But anyway, they uh, in both instances, they had uh, deer rifles and uh, hanging in the back window. You know how that goes. And, sure. Uh, so this one uh, instance, the thing is kind of bouncing up the gravel road in front of their vehicle, and it came to within uh, 40, 50 feet of their truck, and it stopped, and it was just hovering there uh, about headlight high, and the guy grabbed the rifle, and he hung out the uh, passenger window and looked at it through the uh, uh, telescopic sight, rifle mm-hmm. sight, and was going to shoot it, and when he got uh, a good view of it through there, uh, he hung the rifle back up, and he said, there's no way I was going to pull down on that. He said, "I." <laughs> it looked like it could do you some harm, because he could see a lot of uh, activity inside that that ball, uh, which may well have been that cloud-like material that uh, you can see those images on the website, yeah. and... Uh, the other guy, it was uh, it was two guys again, and the thing was hovering right above their heads, and he pulled his rifle, and he fired at it, and the thing burst into like a gazillion brilliant tiny little lights, which went in every direction, scared the devil out of him, and uh, he got even more afraid when the lights reassembled themselves. It was oh. just like... Rewinding a video, they all went right back into the, the original configuration. Wow! And I'm assuming they don't. They probably don't do very good head mounts at the taxidermy store for that kind of thing. Either, so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just stands the reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> what um, uh, What is the history of the area? I'm sure you've looked into not not just the sighting stuff, but what kind of area was it? Was there um, was there ever a uh, like a Native American ceremonial site around or anything archaeological related that seems interesting or maybe connective to all this? Well, you know, you've done your homework because, yes, we have looked into all that. And uh, the first thing, of course, uh, as you're implying, is you want to try to tie it to some difference in mm-hmm. the area. And a lot of this stuff, well, like Skinwalker, the Colorado Ranch, Yakima, uh did have a lot of native uh, american uh, history sure and uh, but there no it uh that was practically non-existent and uh there are no um, great deposits of any kind of ore mm-hmm. uh you know there's just it's there's nothing to uh to separate it from most anywhere in the US and mm-hmm. Uh, and it's made up of uh, of farmland and ranches. So, how about underground springs or anything like that? Is there oh, a- lots, lots of underground springs, and there is an enormous cavern that runs directly under uh, one of the uh, sites. <laughs> and uh, we're in the process of exploring that. It's uh, the thing is like five, six miles long, and uh, caving is one of my favorite things anyway, so any chance, you know, I take. Right. And uh, uh, so we're we're taking our time and uh, mapping it and exploring it uh, just to see, you know, if there's anything odd there. Right. But, but you certainly have to, you know, eliminate all possibilities. But I can tell you from personal experience and from all this, all the data, 
the little light balls are not, and I say little because they range from baseball to basketball size, um, are very definitely not anything like earth lights, plasma balls, or right. anything like that because their duration is far too long, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, and they're not attached to a fence or yeah, and they seem to have an intelligence to them, obviously. Well, and absolutely, yeah. I'll tell you, one of the uh, uh, really incredible uh, cases over there, uh, a lady uh, who is now a very good friend, and she uh, she picks up reports for us and gets them to me, and um, she and her family uh, live out in this remote area, and one evening, her... Uh, uh, this was a number of years ago. Her daughter was seven, her son was 12, and they had a, a large trampoline out in the backyard. And she and the kids and her brother-in-law were out there uh, kind of watching the kids, and the little girl was jumping on the trampoline. And the uh, the lady and her brother-in-law turned away from them to walk to a shed about 100 feet away, and all of a sudden, the little girl and the and the boy start screaming and crying and yelling. And she turned around and she didn't see anything at that point. But the little girl was lying down on the trampoline. And uh, when she got up to the two kids, they were just shaking with terror and uh, and crying. And she said, "What? What's wrong? What's wrong?" And the little girl said, "Didn't you see it?" And she said, "See what?" Uh, and the little girl said there was uh, a little white light in front of my face. She had her ankle had gone out from under, and she fell on the uh, trampoline and was just trying to get back to her feet. And she looked up, and this thing was right in front of her. She said like a bright white cloud. And uh, her mother asked her how far was it from you, and the little girl extended her arm. And at the end of her hand, she said, right there. <laughs> so you can imagine the impact that would have on a seven-year-old kid or anybody else. I'd be crying, and, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing, uh, before I go to the next part of this, is that the object was very, very close to a, uh, a tree. And uh, within three days, the leaves were all dead. And within two weeks, the tree was dead, which is very typical uh in the trace cases, uh, close approach of an object. But so anyway, uh, she's trying to calm the kids down, and the brother-in-law is making fun of me. Says, "Ah, you guys are making that up." A real skeptic on all this stuff. And suddenly, to the north, they see three white light balls in a, uh, a triangular pattern, and they're they're close to the ground and they're just stationary. And each of the light balls is going from one point of the triangle where it's located to the next point, to the next point, and they're all switching around. Uh, and there has to be a reason for that because we've had several cases where they were doing that exact thing. And uh, so the lady was so angry because this thing got so close to her little girl that she lost it, and she headed towards these lights, and she was yelling at him, you know, like, come on, show me what you are. Come on. You want a little kid, you know, I mean, really getting into it. And all of a sudden, one of the objects instantly went from its original position to within about 50 feet of her face and just hovered there. And uh, uh, after a few seconds, and she was still ranting, 
After a few seconds, it shot back, rejoined the uh, pack, and they started their uh, revolving again around the triangle. And uh, she kept going, and again, it did the same thing. And uh, so you know what? And it went back, and they disappeared. So what you're looking at there is either intelligence or, at the very least, reaction. Huh. Well, they learned not to mess with women. That's uh, Well, yeah, I think they did lose, uh, <laughs> learn a lesson there. And this That's gal, I'm telling you, she means it. <laughs> she can lay out, right? Yes, she could, yeah. Ted, what, uh, is it, what does it say to you that, um, you know, essentially what we're talking about are things that have the freedom to fly, which is like the ultimate freedom to go anywhere, mm-hmm. and they stick to this mile-and-a-half radius? Well, I don't think they really do stick to that. Um it's just this is the the primary sighting area. There are more sightings in that particular area than anywhere else. Now, we do have two other sites. Uh, one is uh, about eight miles away, and the other is about 30, where there is activity similar to this but on a much smaller scale. And what's really interesting is uh, in our research, we've been able to locate witnesses uh, who have seen this stuff from childhood, uh, not only at Marley, but over at uh, one of the other sites uh, since 1937. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, they, they tell us about, and they know nothing about Marley. They live like 60 miles from there. And uh, they were telling us that uh, they saw a light ball over a cemetery, and we investigated that case. And the gentleman, uh, 64 years old, told us, he said, I can remember our farm here, uh, our neighbors coming out and sitting up on the hill watching these big orange objects, uh, sometimes for several nights in a row and, you know. So (laughs) they've been around for quite some time. Well, that's, that's not the, um, I mean, setting all the light phenomena aside, that's not the only weirdness going on there. Am I correct? That, uh, You're right, yeah. You know, you've got, um, uh, I don't know, pushing people over, twisting yes. up fences, um, and I think you had mentioned something about uh, uh, a horse literally looking like it was pureed inside a barn. Exactly. Uh, but um, how, how does that, I don't know, how does that, I mean, do we have the light ball descending on the barn and then this happens, or is this kind of just out of the blue, completely shocking to everybody? Well, the ranch the ranch that uh, has had uh, the preponderance of mutilations and bad animal stuff uh, is one of the most intense areas for the light balls. And it's also the location of that large light mass that you were talking about the photo of. Sure. And uh, uh, it has been an extremely odd, odd area since at least the 1950s. And uh, the uh, the owner at that time tried to tell people about the big lights that were landing and beams of light coming out of them, sweeping the ground and everything. And, of course, everyone said, ah, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, it's still going on. And uh, But the... Um, the the horse thing is, I think, the most, well, I can't say the most disturbing, but certainly very disturbing in that, uh, very much like Skinwalker, uh, the uh, rancher 
saw the horse, daylight, everything was fine. He drives about 15 minutes, comes back, horse is nowhere in sight, and the, uh, a portion of the steel corral is torn down. And uh, a short distance from it, there's a, a wooden barn, and he notices the two heavy wooden doors are pushed in and busted up. And uh, he went into the place, and we just recently photographed uh, the inside. And he said that uh, the only thing left of the horse was uh, found on all the walls and the ceiling. Uh, And it was just, you know, blood and pieces of horse. It was just like it had exploded. And And he didn't hear anything prior to that? No, no, no. And, and yeah. when was the last time it, uh, that he had seen the horse? I mean, hadn't, had uh, he seen it just... Minutes, just 15 <laughs> minutes earlier, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. But Read nothing the, like that happens to people, huh? Huh? Nothing like that happens to people, right? Not that we're aware of. <laughs> no, we haven't, we haven't caught up on that yet, although, as, uh, as uh, you mentioned, the, uh, the couple that was knocked to the ground by something that they couldn't see... Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I mean, these were, were uh, the guy was like six foot seven, very stout, sturdy type, and uh, he felt two sharp wraps to the uh, upper uh, back of his shoulders, and it knocked him to the ground. And he hit so hard that uh, uh, he suffered such a, uh, a bad injury, he developed a blood clot, and they thought they were going to lose him. Jeez. And then his wife approached him, this was 12 noon on a beautiful, clear, no storm, no anything day. And uh, she was sitting in the car watching him walk from one old building to the other, and then he simply hit the ground. And when she got up there to him, uh, she saw him lying uh, sprawled out on the ground. He could hardly talk. And she was impacted in the same area and knocked to the ground. And this lady was, uh, let's say, a large uh, lady. Huh. And uh, so, but then, you know, we come back to the gates being pushed down, tubular steel gates, uh, the uh, half-inch steel pins in a four-inch oak post uh, bent uh, 45 degrees into the tightening position. And we tried uh, some of those, and I'm telling you, it would take incredible energy to bend those. But at any rate, these uh, 24-foot tubular steel gates, no impact marks, no scratches, still chained together with logging chain at the middle, and they're lying flat on the ground, down in an area where wind really couldn't build up any steam. And, of course, wind would go through a tubular steel gate. And um, the entire cattle herd was in that field behind where the gates were knocked down, nothing disturbed with the cattle. And the same thing then happened to two other sets of gates on uh, site three, a different site. And the uh, truck, I think we have that on the uh, website. Uh, at site two, the uh, owners were sitting there listening to uh, the stereo. And uh, there were three of them there. And all of a sudden, this tremendous pop and the quarter-inch thick glass on the front of the stereo split right down the middle in a perfectly straight line and the glass was deposited out across the living room floor they said like it was poured out of a salt shaker 
and it scared the devil out of them. They ran over to check this, and they hear a, a terrific impact outside uh, the house. They run out the front door around the house to the back, and he had just pulled a, uh, uh, a good-sized pickup truck with uh, large uh, off-road tires and no engine, and when he pulled it in, he left the tow bar on the front of it, and it was sitting 12 feet from their garage, which goes under the house. And uh, uh, he had locked, when he got out of it, he rolled up all the windows. He locked it in gear and uh, uh, locked all the windows, doors, and everything. And so when they reached it after this loud noise, it had been pushed 12 feet down the gravel driveway, into the garage door, knocking a big hole into it and uh, throwing the tow bar clear across the garage. And you could see when we got there that the tires had not turned ever. Uh, they dug deep grooves into the gravel, and we tried to move that truck, and five of us couldn't budge it, not an inch. Hmm. So, you know, and this stuff occasionally happens, and no one ever sees anything doing it. I have to uh, go back to something, or I mm-hmm. think our listeners will kill me for not having addressed this. But uh, you'd, you'd mentioned that the the giant orange, uh, whatever, uh, yeah. had, had gone in on itself, and then when you looked at it frame by frame, it looked like it sort of beamed back down to earth. So does that imply mm-hmm. that it is a projection of some sort? Well, uh, it uh, it might imply that uh, our expert uh, video expert. Adam uh, pretty well thinks that it was uh, it moved that fast from its aerial position to the ground, and what you see there is just the the object itself dropping that distance, which appears to be maybe a couple hundred feet, and it remains stationary by the ground. And uh, but whatever happened there, it's real interesting because. It makes you absolutely think that there might be a site of some sort there. Yeah. And, uh, have, have so you, um, yeah, what's it going to take to get out there? Yeah, what do we got to do, Ted? <laughs> <laughs> what do we got to do? What do we got to do to to get you to take us out there? <laughs> well, I tell you that with with the uh, the temperament of the witnesses, that's what we've got to be so so careful of. I actually sure. meant, what does it take for you to get, to get out to where that thing collapses into the ground? But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take either. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to get a uh, an ultra glider, and uh, well, actually, we also have a light plane, but uh, and go over that area very low and very slow, and see if we can find any indication of where this thing goes in. But uh, after seeing a lot of this stuff, I'm not totally of the mind to think that you'll find a physical site. Um, yeah. You know, it, it. what these things do is so far out of the, out of the norm that it's it's very difficult to wrap your head around it. Is there it a, really, have you thought about a ratio of uh, people who are having repeat experiences to new people having experiences there? Uh, when new people move in, they have them. <laughs> and, uh, Is there anything uh, special about people that want to stay in a region like that? Have you thought of aspects no, like that? No, actually, I'll tell you, they are not. Now, a handful of the witnesses are becoming disturbed. 
you know, when you start seeing your cattle killed and your horses killed and like that, uh, and people knocked to the ground, it gets, uh, it starts working on, on folks in different ways. But, uh, well, for example, the guy that was knocked to the ground was an avid hunter his entire life, and he will not leave his home, step outside even after dark. So that's how, what kind of an impact it had on him. But it's their home place, a lot of them, and, uh, they don't want to leave it, and they're not that, concerned about it and it's interesting they watch it and uh, give us the reports and and so on but uh some people are uh you know unlike me i'm dumb enough that i'll just go out and try to get right in something if i can and uh well i don't mean i try to get on board but close <laughs> and uh but then there are other sensible people that it disturbs hmm. has there been um for you or your crew that go down there, mm-hmm. has there been any effects to any of you all besides a change in thought to, you know, you being a pretty much a nuts and bolts guy before this happened? Yeah. Um, it, it certainly changed your perspective on the manifestation of these kind of things. Besides that, is, is there any... Um, I mean, I guess I should just come out and ask it. You know, is anybody of your crew or, or for that matter, anyone who lives in the area... Um, heard voices of any sort or sounds that are kind of unpinpointable uh, as far as where they're coming from and that sort of thing? I mean, has there been that kind of effect on anybody? Well, uh, again, a handful of people have reported uh, that they could be sitting in their home, and these are very reliable people, and they could be sitting in their home and they would suddenly have a sort of an emotion come over over them of uh, great relaxation, and they would just step outside, and the things would be there. And huh. uh, so I, I've I've not experienced that, but uh, and none of the uh, team members have experienced anything like that. We have had um, a couple of individuals who uh, live many states away that are good friends of property owners who uh, in one location where a lot of the light ball activity is at have uh, actually one of them in one instance was up in a deer stand and uh, he heard uh, really weird voices. He said it was like something talking at very high speed in sort of gibberish. <laughs> and, oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah and he's, he's, up, <laughs> he's up in a deer stand. There's only one way out, and they were underneath the deer stand. And now that might give you a little concern, but, uh, and this guy, believe me, is as, as sound of mind as any person you'd ever want to meet. And he's an outdoorsman. I mean, his whole life. And, uh, um, I'll tell you, I, one of the weird experiences I had, I was standing in that same area. Uh, I went down there by myself hoping to get some photos of some of the light balls one evening. And, uh, as it was getting darker, um, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden I hear this terrific noise. And the tree about seven feet from me, a tall uh, tree, just starts just going crazy, rattling. I mean, it was like it was in a whirlwind. And uh, I looked up, and all around, and the grass wasn't even moving at the base of it. 
nor anywhere else. There was no breeze. <clears throat> and this thing, the limbs and the uh, the leaves were shaking like you can't believe. Hmm. And uh, so I stepped away from the tree and uh, stood there and watched. And after about a minute and a half, it just suddenly just stopped. And uh, I decided, well, maybe I'll go up to the cabin tonight and watch. Hmm. That was that was a little freaky, even for me. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, it just, I mean, it goes on and on and on. If you can think about it, I think it probably has happened. And, uh, again, you know, that's difficult for me to swallow. I mean, really, you know, I, I was a guy, if I had an individual report a UFO sighting and then he started talking about, well, I've seen three or four others, yeah. uh, I'd just drop the case and say, thanks very much. I appreciate it. And that was the end of that. <laughs> because I didn't believe in repeat sightings. And now here I'm in an area where it's all repeat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but uh, wow. I can tell you this much. I have been a lot of places around the planet. And I have been out in some pretty spooky, desolate places at night and in the day and whatever. And I could have stood in any of those places my entire life, in my own backyard my entire life, and never see one of these things. And you can go there, and uh, if you're in the right place any night, you'll see something. Wow. Uh, so that's that's the uniqueness of this of this area. Have any local reporters caught on to this yet? No. 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 And uh, I'm afraid if they ever did, we the people would probably tie them up and, uh, you know. <laughs> what about military? Any military interest? Not that we can tell. Not that we can tell. There, uh, occasionally we'll see uh, uh, an army helicopter fly over, and uh, but no, you know, nothing, nothing significant, and no military presence. Now, uh, some relatives of one of the site owners uh, were very, very high-ranking officers in the Air Force, and they came down just for a visit. It was actually a family reunion, and they saw a number of these, uh, the big orange jobs. And uh, so the people were asking them, okay, you were in the Air Force, you were a big muckety-muck, what are these? And they said, you're asking the wrong person, I've never seen anything like this. Uh And he said, I'd have to call it a UFO, I guess. (laughs) So... Hmm. This sounds like a profoundly bizarre place. I mean, mm-hmm. really. It is. Um, it is. And, I tell you what, it is heaven come true for Ted because oh, <laughs> I bet <laughs> my whole life I was always picking up breadcrumbs, physical traces behind these things after they had landed and were long gone. Mm. And now to be right in the middle of uh, stuff, actually, as it happens, uh, is it's as good as it gets. It really is. Have you? Has it responded? to the fact that you're investigating it at all? I was just going to ask that, yeah. Uh, no, it, uh, there hasn't really been, well, as I said, there have been some changes since last fall, but <clears throat> in the types of things that are taking place. But um, as a matter of fact, the light balls uh, actually present themselves and almost seem to put on kind of a little show for witnesses. Uh, because witnesses will be there in, in this remote place somewhere, and all of a sudden they fly in. 
And uh, as I said, like the couple, they fly right between people and right by people and stop in front of them and so on. So they're they're not uh, trying to hide themselves, evidently. And uh, and actually, they seem curious. We've had a lot of cases where they followed automobiles, and uh, in some cases, uh, generated EM effects on the automobile. And uh, in one case, one of the things was following a car for about a mile, and then it flew uh, alongside the car right by the lady's window that was driving, about three feet from her window. If that wouldn't rack you out, I don't know what would. And then it suddenly accelerated, got about three, 400 feet down the highway, and landed right on the road in front of her car. And she locked the brakes up and slid up to within 20 feet of it, and it shot straight up and was gone. Wow. And so, you know, it... <laughs> Ted, when you, um, when you go out to this place, and, and I don't want you to tell me the answer to this, I just want you to tell me yes or no, because I have a guess, and I want to see if I'm right. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, when you go out, let's say it's uh, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and you're in at Marley Wood site. Mm-hmm. When and I know there's been things seen there in the daytime, mm-hmm. uh, the, the lights as well as structured things. Yes. But at night, um, do these things seem to have sort of a roundabout general time as when the manifestation of these lights seems to pick up heavier? Would you say? Uh, no. No? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. So it's pretty much as soon as the sun goes down, you start seeing lights. Well, actually, we have uh, a good deal of video of uh, of the objects. Uh, I'm talking about the large orange uh, mm-hmm. in daylight. Okay. And uh, okay. I, think, I think the main problem is uh, typically the people that are in the area don't think they think it has to be night to see these and so they're not walking around looking up in the air and these things uh are not so tremendously they they are brilliant but they're soft brilliant if that makes any sense and uh actually in a bright sunlit day it would be difficult to see one Hmm. i I have uh, um I have an area that's that's near my house, and when Jeremy came for a visit, I I took him up to this place, and it's it's pretty rural. It's a lot of farmland and what have you, and uh, I'd say it's probably been you know ten years ago or so. Uh, my wife and I used to go up there, and we had uh, more than a few UFO sightings up there, not only with my wife but with friends of mine. Mm-hmm. But we did see over treetop level. Um, and this is looking at it from probably one of the highest places in the county, orange balls of light that were clearly balls of light, um, really? not attached to anything. And we noticed that uh, we did see them in the wintertime, uh, but we saw a lot more in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And they also would probably never show up that I ever saw before 930. Mm. At 930 these things would start literally rising up out of the trees. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and we, we actually had one on video some years ago that that sat perched with another one but, uh, over top some trees, of which I know the land because I used to hunt it uh, years before, so I know exactly what the area is like. 
uh, where these things were rising up out of, and they were casting light on the trees, uh, mm. albeit it wasn't. It didn't look like a normal kind of cast of a light that you would expect of a, a, a you know a burning um, you know halogen lamp or something like that. These mm-hmm. looked weird, mm-hmm. uh, and they were that kind of undescribable orange. I think the only thing I could ever really compare them to in a certain way was like a road flare, but way more intense than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I say, 9.30 was about their show-up time, um, and within a few minutes here before or after. But uh, from that point on, the more you went, the more of them that you would see mm-hmm. uh, here and there. But that But come fall, it's gone. When the okay. chill gets in the air, it's over. Uh-huh. Um, so whether or not that was some kind of earth light of some kind, although they would hang for 10, 15 minutes at a time. And we yeah. did, like I said, we did get one on video that actually shot up and made a right angle turn uh-huh. um, over our heads one night. So, um, yeah, I was just curious if there was kind of kind of a correlation in time or seasons, like I asked you about earlier, if it was seasonal. I was curious if there was some kind of connection with that, but you say this is this has been all the time, even daylight and yeah. across seasons. So yeah. that kind of yeah. blows that thought. Yeah, uh, we've been we've been out there at uh, five below zero and a uh, hundred degrees, <laughs> and you know it makes no difference. And actually, uh, on cloudy nights, I'm talking about the big ambers. Uh, we would see them above the clouds and sometimes come down through the clouds. And uh, I have so wanted to get video of that uh, because it's a, a truly startling sight to see them illuminating a cloud and then coming down through it. But they, I say illuminate the cloud. You're actually looking through the cloud at it at like it. a lens. Yeah. <clears throat> and it would come through the cloud <laughs> under the cloud base. And uh, so that's one of my goals. But... Uh, have you have you uh, been there and have you seen those things lately? Or I have not been up there lately at all. Um, I know Jeremy's going to be coming back for a visit when it gets warm, and I think we're going to go back up there with some lawn chairs. Uh, oh boy, I would. I um, certainly would. And and see what we can see. But um, I mean, my research partner at the time, um, you know, we had both been into it for ten years or more you know, at that point, but. Uh, uh, we drew all kinds of lines trying to see if we were, you know, possibly seeing something like uh, um, some kind of reflection from landing lights at an airport, you know, or mm-hmm. any conceivable notion we could come up with. And we found nothing in this direction except acres upon acres of <laughs> forest. And I'm like, you know, what wh- what is this? And then yeah. to boot, what I was asking you about as far as other paranormal instances um down the hill from this particular site is uh, an inn that has stood since the 17 or 1600s um, that is horribly haunted um, mm. in, in so much as the fact that the owner has openly talked about to me uh, about seeing uh, people walking through his home and having conversations with them. And this is an incredibly lucid guy. That, um, you know, and, and my grandmother, who was, I, I think, pretty much like the people you describe at Marley Woods, kind of a uh, a no-bullshit kind of people, um, 
she was every bit of that, and she told me she saw people in this house. And it's just weird that you've got this close proximity of all these different uh, paranormal-ish stuff that seems to be almost concentrated to a certain degree. Obviously, nothing like Marley Woods, but it's weird how close the proximity is to all of that. Um, yeah, you know, it, you're absolutely right. I uh, I found in uh, oh, not a large number, but a considerable number of uh, the landing cases that. Uh, after the event, um, poltergeist-type activity would be initiated. And mm-hmm. uh, and hauntings and, uh, you know, I I tell you, it, it all comes down to the fact that we don't know everything about everything. And, <laughs> uh, man, I mean, you talk about paratopia. This is, <laughs> this is it, you know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, things, things that are outside our uh, visible light, uh, audible frequencies, uh, mm-hmm. you have absolutely no idea what's going on around you at any yeah. given point. And uh, with just a couple of clicks, it might become visible. Right. Well, and, I think, uh, um, I, I think to, to just kind of put a cap on all this... Um, I want to let the listeners know that um, that right now, uh, I mean, obviously with the economic times that we're at right now, uh, Ted and, and the uh, and the center are um, trying to get stuff done in Marley Woods, and obviously it's a, um, I mean, Ted's record in his field is about as unblemished as you can get. I mean, the man is a saint for what he does and what he's done for decades now in, in trying to present stuff, and Ted is a... Ted is an anomaly in this field because uh, most researchers that I've ever encountered, they don't even want to share information with other UFO researchers, much less the public. Um, and and uh, and I think that um, what what I what I offered to Ted was that um, uh, I'd like to do. I mean, anybody who listens to the show probably knows by now I'm a professional artist, so I want to try to do some kind of functional sculptural piece that is kind of themed towards the paranormal stuff. Uh, not exactly sure. I've got a couple of drawings drawn up, but we're going to float those by Ted and see what happens. Anyway, I'm going to build something, and we're going to throw it up for auction, uh, whether it's on our site or whether it's on eBay or whatever, and all the proceeds of that are going to go to Ted um, to help fund what they need, namely live feed, right, Ted? Wireless yeah. internet, yeah. all that. Yeah. So that, you know, everybody can see what's going on out there um, at Marley Woods. So we want to definitely, you know, make sure that you get a lot of publicity for this auction and make sure that we can get you a lot of money to do what you need to do. So, um, but, you know, Ted, thanks a lot for everything that you do with this well, stuff. Thank you. And, um, you know, like I said, you're a saint uh, to all of this. And, uh, and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you about all this. So really appreciate it very much. Well, listen, it has been fun, and uh, I, I have honestly enjoyed it, and I absolutely uh, appreciate what you're uh, willing to do. And uh, one thing I can assure you, it will be put to good use because, as you mentioned, one of my huge goals is to, uh, since it's so remote, it's difficult to... Uh, to transmit out of there and but what we're hoping to do we have four ccd cameras that are in operation now 
<clears throat> and could go out into streaming video any time hmm. that we could get the connection. Right. And uh, my goal is to make that available on the website where some evening you have absolutely nothing else to do and you want to try to see something at Marley, you can pull up the website and watch. Right. And, I won't uh, have a job if that happens. Stumbling around <laughs> out there. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, Ted, would you, uh, would you consider coming back to the show and, and maybe talking about the, um, the Slovakia stuff a little bit? Sure. I know sure. that uh, our listeners would love to hear about that as well, so... We'll yeah. uh, try to get a hold of you at some point uh, in the future here and, and get going with that. But I'll let you know when the auction is going to start happening, and we'll advertise the hell out of it to get you guys the funding that you need. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate it very much, and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, guys. And I'd be happy to to come back and talk about Slovakia. There actually is uh, some movement on that, Ooh. and we may be able to get back there in September. We have our fingers crossed. Outstanding. So, Outstanding. All right. Well, you just let me know. We'll do it. Absolutely. And, uh, Ted, hang, hang on the line for just a minute because I want to I wanna talk to you after we uh, uh, cut this off. Okay. All right. Jeremy, are we good? Take care. Well, yeah, I guess that's the cutoff, right? <laughs> <laughs> I suck at radio. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dennis McKenna, and you're listening to Jeff and Jeremy on Paratopia. <laughs> Transition. Esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. So, Jeffrey Ritzman, Ted Phillips, that was interesting, no? Great guest, man. Great guest. Um, should we throw in here, because I don't know I don't know how we, this works. Does everyone know that we've got a message board, paratopia.net? If you go there and you look to the right, you'll see a thing for our message board. On that message board, we have a little section called the clues and in the clues when you are good and ready uh for this uh, auction will be all of the information about the auction perhaps even the auction itself if uh you decide not to do ebay yeah i think we're going to do ebay though because that's going to open it up to uh just a, a global bigger audience so i think See, that's i think what you should do to really bilk people is do the auction there and then have whatever that high price is be the starting bid on an ebay auction <laughs> that's an evil thought yes full of those no actually I, I think that uh, uh, if anybody is just looking for a really neat site to go to every day uh, there's a site called Boing Boing as in the old uh, uh, cartoon sound effect Boing 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 it's called boingboing.net I'm a regular visitor there just about every day. And that's the place where 
uh, you know, I put one of my first guitars that I built, one of the first customs up there, uh, submitted it to them, and they actually, you know, they thought it was interestingly interesting enough to post. And when I did that, it, it got a lot of views on eBay and all that, and it uh, significantly helped the ending price. So I plan to do something similar for Ted's auction. So we want as much publicity on this as we can get, uh, uh, both for the center and for Ted's uh, need for the funds to cover all this kind of thing. And I think, I, I, I can't think of a more deserving thing in hard economic times, a more deserving thing in ufology to donate to. I think that this would be... Well, I'm really glad, um, I'm glad that we're doing this, um... You know, it's it's always good to to bitch and moan about the field, but then to actually be able to do something and give back in a way where you you can trust where your money's going, uh, of course, is a rarity. So, uh, oh, do you have any idea what it is that you want to do? And by we, when I say we're doing this, I mean that you're doing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to piggyback on your charity. <laughs> well, I have. Uh... Well, I have a face. I, I used to collect a lot of film props back uh, some years ago, and uh, uh, some of which I got from working at a production house, and then some I just flat out bought. Uh, and one of the things that I came across uh, some years ago was uh, from the collection of Forrest Ackerman, uh, who recently passed away not too awfully long ago. Uh, this guy was... He, he was one of the... You know, purveyors of all of the really amazing old classic sci-fi stuff uh, from the movies that otherwise would have been in a dumpster somewhere, and he basically saved it all. Um, I bought from him uh, the face from the communion film uh, with Christopher Walken. I also got the bug head. Uh, so if anybody who's seen that, we're always making jokes about the lines in that movie because we love Christopher Walken. But um, I have the the alien face in the very final scene when Christopher Walken says, "What do I call a book about you?" And this face floats up to him out of the darkness, and I have that face, that prop that was used, and I have one of the green, uh, I guess, bug insect like. Uh, Masks You're all in for a surprise. A, You're in for a very, very big, big surprise. surprise. It's an ambush. That scene <laughs> where he's on the bus and he turns around and... And you're like, what these... the hell am I watching? How right. is this in a movie? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've got one of those. It. So what I thought was, you know, the face is pretty iconic at this point. So I could take that face and I could make a mold. And then I could... Uh, I could maybe do like four or five of them and make some sort of functional lamp that when you turn them on, the faces light up, uh, make some kind of really interesting abstract uh, base for the lamp, so that it's something somebody can use. It's not just like, yeah, that's really cool, and it's going to a good cause, but something that, you know, you know, you're, you're something for your reading room, if you're uh, a hardcore UFO guy or gal, that uh, would be a neat piece of film history, but would also be functional. And I think it could be kind of cool. I'm going to really pull out all the stops to see what I can do. And uh, and that's what I think, that's what I'm leaning towards right now. If anybody's got any better ideas... Will there be I'll, three brightness settings on this lamp, Jeffrey? I'll try to make that happen for you. Okay. Yeah. I thought about doing an alien guitar, but... Eh. You know. 
I've done guitars. It's you know, it's time to do some kind of really bizarre looking sculpture that would be kind of cool. And and I also want it to be kind of representative of the whole UFO thing. So it's kind of like a sculpture, but it's functional. So that's that's the idea anyway. I mean, it's three, two, two, three weeks. Let's see what I can get done, and uh, and we'll have it up. So you guys can bid on it and tell your friends and let them bid on it and. Everybody just keep in mind it's going to Ted Phillips. Every thin dime is going to him. I'm taking care of all the supplies, the labor, and all that. So um, every every bit will go to him and the team to buy the much-desired equipment to do the streaming feed from Marley Woods so that we can all watch this stuff. I mean, I think that's the good part is you're going to get something out of it ultimately anyway. Right. So. A lamp. A lamp. No, a uh, feed. Oh, no, the feed, that's right. <laughs> yeah, the feed, man, the feed. So, uh, so what did you, you know, it was interesting um, when little tidbit was, he said people there uh, seem to go to bed by 9 or 9.30 or whatever. They go to bed early. Uh-huh. And it reminded me of what you had said about Pine Bush. Yeah. Where everyone's just sort of inside. Black Bart's coming to town, close your shutters. You know? Yeah, it makes me wonder <laughs> if people aren't sort of... Um, you know, unconsciously trained just yeah. just by the things that go bump in the night to stay in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's uh, then I, again, what is there to do out, outside? I guess is the, would be the ultimate question. Oh yeah, I mean it's uh, it sounds like a pretty remote area if if different neighbors and what. I mean, you would think it would get around town. You know what I'm saying? And people would come out to see what the story is. Yeah, you think they'd have town hall meetings on this stuff? <laughs> yeah. Or let no demons take over. Bro. Right, exactly. I shot one of them. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, it must be a, a very, very remote area. It must be a huge area, too, um, to have different sites like this where, I mean, and you figure if it's if it's pasture farming, it probably is a pretty big area. So, um, you know, what I found to be ridiculous, again, was uh, <laughs> bouncing basketball-sized things. Right. That, uh, Talking gibberish. Speaking gibberish. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come on, man. You know, it's like, and, and we should say that we did talk to Ted about uh, the McKenna-esque stuff, and uh, he found it fascinating. So I'm going to be sending him uh, some suggested reading materials on that for him to check it out. And, and it's, I mean, again, there's, there it is. There it is, popping up again. So, I mean, I, <laughs> how much more do you need to know that there's at least some kind of, at least similarity going on here with this there's stuff? There's similarity there. There's also... I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff sounds like what you experienced in your neck of the woods. It also yep. sounds like what Ted Rowe talked about seeing in, what was it, Arizona? Yes. Uh, so it seems that there are these pockets of places, at least, uh, all around the country that have, yeah. at least, well, <laughs> that have these, these lights with these same qualities to them. Well, here's the weird part, is no reflected light on the ground? What yeah. is that? What is that? I mean that that makes no sense whatsoever to have a light in the sky that he says gets pretty bright and uh and and fills a lens uh overwhelms a camera and there's no reflected light you know that speaks to something being here and not here at the same time but something that you can shoot 
Yeah. You can get it on film. No, I mean literally shoot. Uh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, you can shoot it, yeah. I mean, it's just... What sense does that make? I mean, that's just... That's that's just com- completely confounds me. It's a uh, game. You know, at... Uh, I I was surprised to hear him say no reflected light. I expected him to say, "Oh yeah, we see the lights on the ground, we see the the reflection of it, and, you know, it lights up the trees." No, it doesn't. So, what the hell kind of light is that that can do that? That's just to me is ridiculously amazing. Um, and I don't, you know, it's anybody's guess what's going on with that. Uh, but it almost speaks to me of something that's. That's, that's that's there enough for you to see it and for you to film it, but is not interacting with the environment, even in so much as light. But it's an but it can sure as hell blow a horse apart, <laughs> you know. I mean, I, that's just beyond the weird to me. So um, I, I even find it weird that it's red, white, and blue. Like these are the colors of these balls of light. Yeah, well, you know, at least the colors of our flag. I find it amazing <laughs> that uh, a woman can stand and rant at it, and it comes down and kind of like says, "Yeah, yeah." Okay, I'm going away now. <laughs> you know, and does it twice. I mean, that's just uh, uh, it, it, obviously intelligent. You know, in some form, it's intelligent. Well, once again, you know, we've got this other through line of something that either purposely or accidentally scares the bejesus out of people. Uh-huh. Uh, certainly has the ability to kill animals or make them disappear and leave behind puddles of them or something. You, yeah. Uh, but don't hurt humans or don't significantly hurt humans. Don't kill humans. Right. At least that we know of. Uh, you know, I wonder what what that is. I mean, is that a moral compass of some sort, or what are we looking at there? I don't. I don't know. I I, I don't remember if I've ever talked about this on any show or not. But many many years ago, when my research partner and I got a call uh, this was back when sightings was on so I was obviously hosting uh, hosting sightings chats for AOL uh, we got a call or he got a call from somebody uh, who had seen an episode of sightings about covering the abductions scenario um, which they did pretty frequently and um, this woman had three daughters uh, she, was, she was married her husband lived at home with her um, and she was having problems with, she, well, I should say she didn't know what it was until she saw sightings and she says, that's what I saw at the foot of my bed. So, um, we went out to the house and one of the things that came up was that they have lost, uh, three of their five cats within the past month. And I said, well, how do you mean they've run away or you know, that's what I'm thinking. It's something's there scaring the family. It's certainly going to scare away a cat. And she said, no. Um, uh, one was in our bedroom one night, and when we woke up, it was pureed all over the walls. Um, uh, another time, it was in a, a small kennel that it slept in, another one, and it it turned to goo. It was exploded, as Ted said. There was, she said there was not a bit of it that you could pick up that was bigger than a dime, uh, bones, and it, there was no semblance of a skeleton. She said it was just fur, blood, and goo. Um, and then the last one, she said, we put in our car, and that's the one that, um, if I remember right, uh, she showed us pictures of, and that was 
literally the inside of the the car was smeared with cat. Um, nothing left of the cat. And this is when they they had had a sighting and they said, "Get the cat out of the house. Let's keep the cat safe. Let's put it in the car." And obviously that wasn't enough to keep the cat safe because the cat ended up soup. Um, she had very odd experiences, including seeing a being at the foot of her bed that was wearing a Zorro hat and holding a knife. And uh, I believe that that was the one that she said laid down next to her and absorbed into her. And I remember at the time, my research partner and I get in the car and he said, uh, this is, this, I don't think this is like the UFO alien related thing. I think this is something else and I think we better stay away from it. Um, but maybe it was, and it was just, I mean, at the time he, he said, this sounds like it's something, um, uh, like what they talk about with the, this demonic stuff. That's he's, maybe that's what this is, but this doesn't smell like a UFO thing. I said, but they're seeing flying saucers. You know, they've seen two of them in the course of three months. Uh, what is that? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm not going back in there. Uh, because the husband essentially came home and saw us in the living room talking to the wife and the three daughters and uh, admonished them from talking to us any further until we paid them. <laughs> and I said, well, we don't pay to talk to anyone. We're here for you. We're not here to make money off of you or publicize you. We're here to help you if we can uh, by providing you information that you know, might, might be of interest or of help to you. And that's it. That's all we're here for. Well, they're not talking unless we see some money. Well, bye. <laughs> uh, but that had a lot of the same type of uh, poltergeist-ish type stuff going on. And, of course, the destruction of animals. I have no idea what that, what the purpose of that would be or what that means. Um I don't have any clue, but that's, I mean, we've all heard Skinwalker, uh, and what I just related, and now this, uh, you know, that I know about, but uh, I figure there's more of that kind of stuff around, you know, and in comparison, it makes the, you know, the Linda Moulton House School of of, uh, cow mutilation look extremely tame in comparison, so uh, I don't know, I don't know what the hell that could be. Yeah, you know, I, I... The sci-fi guy in me is attracted to the idea of some sort of evil intelligence here and aliens, and the evil intelligence emulates aliens. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Uh, And then they could have wars, like Godzilla and Mechagodzilla. Nothing? Nothing. uh, Anyway. Hmm. Um... One day you'll stop ignoring me, Jeffrey. I know. In my pleas for help. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, you know, it, it, on the outset of it, it does look kind of bad. Uh, <laughs> but but um, what what if it's an un- unintentional thing? I don't know. I mean... Well, and who needs cats anyway, frankly? Yeah, that's true. I mean, we well, you know, in a way, you know, I mean, flippant, but... Uh, you know, we make a big deal out of mutilations. Like, anyone seen a slaughterhouse lately? You know, it's not as though we're not we're not all members of PETA here. You know, right, right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's certainly a part of this, but 
uh, I think just like crop circles, it's you know it's one of those things that could be natural in some cases or hoaxes in some cases, and in other cases, it is something genuinely weird. Well, speaking but, of uh, crop circles and all that, you you know uh, you you often say that you don't believe that there's any trace evidence, right? That these things don't leave evidence, and here's Ted Phillips who does trace evidence cases. What uh, do you say about that? Uh, well, I think I think they can leave something. Uh, but I think anytime you're going to, okay, here's a here's a an example. You're a trace evidence guy. You get a call from a client who lives on a farm, and they have a burnt circle in their lawn, and they claim that they saw a flying saucer set down, and this is what it left. Um, you go out, you find that the plants have been exposed to microwave radiation or something of that like, um, and you collect your samples. You say that the soil has been uh, uh, made devoid of all water, uh, Years after the fact, there's still no water there. I don't think any of that really tells you what the object was, where it came from. It's kind of like photographs. It's, it adds to a growing body of evidence, but I don't think it really says uh, a flying saucer sat down here. I think it's just as easy to say that uh, uh, some type of military craft that we don't know about might have been having problems and had to set down to do something, and that's what these people saw. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know unless there's something extraordinarily weird about uh, the effects on the on the uh, on the environment. I don't see that that can really prove anything definitively. Just as if a, a photograph can't prove anything definitively, definitively. I think it's the same kind of thing. Um, it can add to a growing body of evidence, but the question always bears out is how much of it is you know, uh, some type of project the military is working with. Um, we don't know. We don't know what they have. And we don't know, uh, you know, what those propulsion systems are that they're experimenting with. So who knows? Um, I, don't, I don't say that, that the manifestations that people see that are something genuinely weird uh, in the sense of uh, having a, a an experience and knowing there's something outside, and then here's some effect. Uh, that's one thing, but I mean, as you've you've always got to look at this stuff on the aspect of could I take this in front of a skeptic and say this is something genuinely weird, and here's why. The skeptic's always going to come back at you with, well, it could be some military project or. It could be an, a weather phenomenon, or it could be this or that. It, we just, I don't think it stands up to that. And that's what I always have to think about is, especially with visual data, um, is this something I would go up to a skeptic and go, look at this and tell me what it is? And then whatever they would say, would I have an answer back to them that would support uh, this being something of a genuine anomaly? I, I don't know that, that landing trace cases can do that. Um, and maybe when we have Ted back, we'll we'll talk to him more about that. But um, uh, I think they can affect the environment if they're manifested enough or they're real enough. But so can a lot of other things. So I don't know. Um, 
I, I, I put that in my relatively small gray area basket. You know, same with, with, with visual evidence. It kind of holds the same weight for me. Do you, what do you think about this? Here's my little hypothesis on the fly. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the old days, druids and the such, you know, what do we really know about any of these people, right? Mm-hmm. These ancient peoples, except that they left behind these giant coordinated monuments and structures that, you know, are what are along some energy grid, earth lines, ley lines. Yeah. Um... What if there were people who, back in the magical thinking days, um, did manifest this stuff, and because that's gone with rationality, that now it, it's got to make us manifest it in this way, and so, you know, ultimately we don't know if it's good or bad, so so <laughs> as we were talking about the other night, privately, you know, when you or I or any of these experiencers say, like, well, we feel like we've got to tell the world about this. Wow. Um, you know, is that... Are we functioning in the, the way that, that the olden days used to function through through magic and through monuments and stuff like that? Are we basically doing the same thing? Are we manifesting these things? Are we trying, are we trying to get people to manifest this in our reality by telling them about it? And then how, how, how good or bad is that? <laughs> <laughs> are we doing magic here, Jeff? Are we doing deep... I'm not doing magic, magic by accident. I'm not doing magic because magicians. <laughs> yes, go on. As Mr. George Hansen will tell you, a lot of them I'm are gay, not. and I'm not. Um, but you get the gist of my jive here. I mean, yeah, are yeah. We, are I, we unwitting pawns in some magical scheme to manifest stuff that's sick of not being around anymore? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Good. Well, let's not let's not examine that, and let's just do I, no, it. Let's see what happens. See how it plays out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not like everyone in the world is is believes us. It's not like um, it's not no, like we have any is, definitive. There is this concentrated sure. effort, and and I, you know, it does seem to be getting more uh, urgent in experiencers that I know to mm. to get out there and talk about this and bring it to a large audience and get people to um, to recognize this, you know? And, and the thing that I hear is that it's important to do this. Um, I just don't know why it's important to do this. That happened in the late 80s. I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's happened before. I mean, there's been the huge... Uh, outswell of of experiencers who've talked about their stuff on nationwide TV. I mean, it's happened before. Yeah, but that that was different because that was more like, holy crap, this is happening to me. What's uh-huh. going on? Let's tell the world this is real. I'm not nuts. Don't fire me. Don't lock me up. Okay. Now it's like the, those people are out. <laughs> like right. we've heard that message from us, right? And so now it's just let's get the message out there for the sake of getting it out there. Almost uh, an unconscious religious movement or something, you know. Maybe I haven't noticed it about myself. I don't feel any more urgent now than I did ten years ago. But well, you're uh, back in it, aren't you? You weren't back. in Well, it. yeah, that's why I say. Um, uh, but the way I, I didn't get dragged back into it with the aspect of going this far again. Um, but but here I am. So I guess uh, I, I guess maybe subliminally I've fallen back into that old pattern again. Um, although it's not near the obsession that it was before. Uh, is it good or bad? Um, 
I, I don't know. I don't know that it's either. It, um, uh, I mean, just you have to question, you know, just by mentioning and talking about these topics in this in the way that we are on this show. Um, is that is it really having an effect, or is it just more talking? Uh, I like to think that we're getting into deeper aspects of this than than anybody else, uh, but. I don't. I don't know that that's really what's happening. I, I. I. feel like we're on a definite track with something. Something feels to be connecting together like it hasn't ever before for me, at least. Um, are we helping people to manifest this further? Uh, I. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I can't. I, George's words keep popping up in my head again about, you know, the whole, um, you know, that he was predicting more prevalence of paranormal topics in general coming to public light due to the state of the economy and and the world right now uh, being what it is. Um, I, I don't know. I mean... Is it good or bad? I, I mean, is it good or bad? I don't know if it's good or bad because I don't know if this is good or bad. Um, the whole phenomenon as a whole, is it is it good or is it bad? I don't know that it's either. I think it just is what it is. Um, I used to think it was incredibly bad. Um, but I, I don't... I don't uh, I don't know. I don't like feeling like I'm part of some plan I knew nothing about. <laughs> No, well, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't particularly care. But it for just that. stands to reason that if this is something that needs us to manifest itself, well, yeah, I mean, I mean we're doing I've, the deep, the deep yeah, dish show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a guy on AboveTopSecret.com. Uh, I guess it's been at least a couple of years ago when I was talking about my experiences on there because I'd gotten so much shit from the members about why are you such a hard ass and why are you you know, continuously trying to dig in and prove this one real and this one not and, you know, what's your deal and all that and I eventually just told people, you know, this was not the only time that I had exposed myself publicly for the sake of relaying my experiences but it was certainly the first time since I'd been back um, super in public eye you know, doing the image stuff for for ATS, so uh, I laid out a good bit of stuff and, um uh, and some guy chimed in after hearing about half of my uh, recounting on there, and he said, uh, dude, I'd give, I'd give anything to have an experience like that. And I said, you want experiences like this? Go out and look for it. Because if you go out and look for it, I have no doubt in my mind, and I'm confident enough in saying, if you want to see it, and you want to see it bad enough, you will go out and you will ponder it endlessly. It will occupy your every waking thought. Uh, you will go outside and look up. Every day, you will focus your intent and your questions on deeper meanings than what ufology in this subject has asked in any book or in any video uh, that only you can ask because you're the only one who knows those questions that you have. And if you go out every night of the week looking for something, you will find it. It may not come all at once. It may be something anomalous one night that's very mundane. Um but it will build up over the course of a couple of weeks. And within more than a few weeks, you'll have something that you can't deny. But be very wary of what you're asking for. 
because once you kind of, I've always felt that once you kind of open that door, um, if you've never been exposed to it before, um, it can, it can be debilitating. It can be very fearful. Um, and I told him that and I thought to myself, you know, is this even something I should be saying? You know, not knowing any more about it than I do, you know, am I, am I making other people open that door even further and then what? So I don't know. Um, there's, there's a, is there a plan there? Is there, you know, is there even a plan? I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily doing a bad thing. Uh, I think it's, it almost feels like this is uh, these subjects and all coming to more public view. I think we have a real chance to um, expose people to a part of it that maybe they hadn't heard before, past the ETH and all of that. Um, and maybe that's a good thing that that maybe some people will start looking at it in different ways, and then maybe then maybe it will change itself to kind of answer that uh, for other people. And um, and if that gives a, a greater, you know, awareness to what we're doing or what we're living in here, I don't see that as bad. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you? I, I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't think any answers to this are forthcoming. I mean, don't yeah, don't no. understand me. This is gonna. We'll be in the ground two hundred years before even uh, you know an iota more of this is known. I think all we're seeing is is more definitive uh, trails to maybe explore, but I don't think we're ever going to get any solid, solid answers. Not not as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing doesn't want us to know everything about what it is, but I think it's. I think we're ready to take the next step in maybe understanding more about it, and maybe that's what we're doing. Well, maybe that's it. I just I find it odd, you know, if you're. Uh, getting back into this now parallels, you know, Deb uh, Cobble, who uh, did the same thing, dropped out and said, you know, I'll I'll be back when, <laughs> you know, when when it's right. And that was the last she had said to her MUFON friends many, many, many years ago. Right. And now finally went back and said the time is now, you know, for, for whatever reason. It's just yeah. the feeling she's got, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I hear this from other people as well, um, but I just keep hearing it. I, I mean, and I think the most, the most, well, I, I don't feel anything at the moment. I have I felt it. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think what, like having that vision of, you know, or, you know, ice basically or snow or whatever, okay. a glacier for all intents and purposes, uh, quick freezing over the U.S. I mean, when I had that vision, you know, certainly... That, coupled with other warnings about what we're doing to the environment, I mean, all of that feels like, like, I don't know why I'd be experiencing that if it weren't true, if, uh-huh. the, if we weren't in imminent danger of this, but but at the same time, uh, I think it would be far more fascinating if, if people like me were getting messages like that and uh, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, well, then what does that mean? Yeah. Um... I don't know. I, I mean, I've never had that kind of apocalyptic-looking stuff. I've that's not been my experience in any of this, and and I do hear it from. I mean, I've heard it from you, and I've heard it from several other people that they've seen or been shown things like this. Um, I'm just I'm pretty far removed from that, and my interest is not 
is not there for that. I mean, even the whole thing with 2012, I don't buy any of that stuff. I don't I think 2012 is going to come and go, and it's still going to be... Well, did you see the link that I put up uh, on the website? No. To, I don't remember the man's name, but uh, a, uh, I think he's an astronomer. Maybe he's just a good old-fashioned scientist. But basically saying, uh, yeah, it's true, on December, whatever it is, 23rd, 2012, um, or 21st, whatever the, the end date is, yeah, it's true, there's going to be a big galactic alignment and all of this, and... Um, of course, what the 2012 believers don't tell you about that is that that happens every year at the same time. Right. <laughs> and I thought, huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, it's... Well, uh, that. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, something that a friend of mine at work, and he's very into the whole Mayan thing, um, and he, I think he's a pretty spiritual guy, he said to me that uh, something somewhere he had read... Uh, that uh, something to, I, I can't remember word for word what he said, but something about that, uh, you know, from outside of this universe, there was a, uh, there's like a, a connective consciousness to us that is kind of guiding this planet. And at 2012, he said that will be cut off and will be cut off from that into other intelligence that has guided us this far. Um, and he said, it's, he, he said he feels it, it, that, or he's read that it might be some kind of um, huge turnaround for humanity, some kind of change in consciousness that might occur. And that's what 2012, I think he was saying that that's what he thought. Um, and, uh, you know, if there is any significance to it, then okay. But, uh, I mean, Terrence McKenna certainly, certainly thought there was something to it, but um, even his brother said he's seriously kind of, uh, you know, questions the whole time wave zero in 2012 and all that um, in, in the years since that. So I just don't know what to make of any of that stuff. And none of it has really, none of it really feels like it is anything to me. Well, uh, as a Mayan Indian actually told Teokas and Ghost Horse, you know, when people talk about the Mayan calendar, they, um, they only talk about, they don't talk about the long count. Uh-huh. They, you know, there was more to this calendar than just it ending at 2012. Okay. So, it's again, it's this new age thing of picking and choosing what you want to see. But, yeah, but, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, people thought this was going to happen during harmonic convergence, right? So, right. Uh, look right. how that went. I don't even I don't even know how all that is, or what all that is. I mean, that's just not something I paid much attention to. Um. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it'll be probably the same thing. You know, some people will think that some great spiritual personal transformation happened to them. And, <laughs> and everybody else will be going, what? Yeah, and everyone else will go to work the next day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, um, but, but you know, one of the thing that's, things that is interesting to me is that, you know, you've got um, all of a sudden, and, and I don't remember, like, throughout, paranormal history. I've not heard of these places like Skinwalker, like Marley, like, you know, like, like the place Ted was talking to us about. These these hardcore bizarre epicenters of something going on. Um, I, that seems to me like that's not that common, but all of a sudden it seems like there's becoming more than one place popping up like that. Um, yeah, that's something I'm not sure. I mean, did he say how how long has he said he's been researching this place? 
I think he said he'd been doing it 10 years. Yeah, there. that's probably funny he said too. So 10 years and then, but he didn't say how long it's been going on there, did he? Uh, I think he, he had said that, uh, and, and, and let's, let's preface this by saying I went and ate dinner and Jeremy relaxed for a while after the interview. So we're just getting back to this now, but, um, we didn't just really hear him say when, and now we're idiots and can't remember. Um, I think he said that there had been reported lights there from around 1937, if I remember right. So it's been a very long time. But there's no, like, myth, no lore around there. Um, yeah, that's why I asked. I mean, it's like, you know... That, to me, is fascinating. No lime deposits. You know, he was very clear to say no ore. Well, he none said of, there was... None of the said, stuff. He said there was a lot of uh, underground springs, right? I mean... Yeah. So that's interesting because there's a lot of underground springs around places like Avery and Silver Hill and Stonehenge and all of that. The question is, is there limestone with that running water... Um, you know, that, that maybe that's producing some kind of effect. I mean, clearly Ted's done his homework on the place, and he knows this is not earth lights, and clearly the reports don't seem to act like earth lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but what the hell is it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Skinwalker <laughs> was probably the first time I've heard of a paranormal was, place yeah, like me, that. Me too, yeah. yeah. It's always a cattle ranch, too. What's that about? Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> But I don't they know if that's to. just because, you know, I mean, think of it this way, too. You know, he's been studying this place for 10 years, and he's just now starting to talk about how this has changed him. You know, he used to be a sort of hardcore ETH kind of guy, you know, and he wouldn't look at a place like this if it were reported prior to uh, yeah. 10 years ago. So yeah. how many other people are there like that that would not even look at a place like this? Oh, I mean, it's... it's. Uh, I mean, and you know when somebody like him who worked with Heineck and... Uh, and, and Jacques Vallée and all you know when he's kind of you know uh, looking at this in a much different way and uh, and I think in a much deeper fashion than just your strict old nuts and bolts stuff um, that there really is no excuse for people out there who are so married to their own little pet theories that they can't uh, uh, you know kind of change direction a little bit for a time and see where it leads them yeah. Uh, I think that's I think that speaks a lot to Ted's character and that he's willing to say, you know, hey, you know, X amount of years ago I wouldn't have given this a second look, but this has definitely changed my mind. Sure. Well I'm just saying, you know, it's hard to say, you know, are these popping up now, which would be kinda creepy, uh, or is it just that researchers then wouldn't have looked at this stuff, wouldn't have taken it seriously. Combined with these are sparsely populated areas and and a lot of it is poltergeist type activity, so who would have even thought that this would be ufology territory. Um, I mean, and again, it's hard to describe because unless you grow up, and I'm sure there's been listeners who've grown up in rural areas like this, but the people are not, they're just, they're not the type sometimes to even acknowledge this stuff. Um, I mean, even the ghost stuff sometimes doesn't really get around. Um, you know, until you're at a cookout or something, and then somebody mentions something who touches off somebody else, and then they start talking about it. Most of these people are hardworking, uh, you know. Uh, of course, in my grandma and grandpa grew up, you know, in Depression era type stuff, and they, they, they their main focus in life was work, <laughs> work and raise a family, and and to think about them 
living, I mean, again, very close to the area where I just talked to Ted about, which was the, the lights, the, the Haunted Inn being right down the street. They lived a stone's throw from the Haunted Inn. Um, and I spent an absurd amount of time there. And, uh, you know, I never heard any of them mention this kind of stuff. But in later years, that's when, you know, when my mom got old right before she had her stroke, you know, I would mention to her about, hey, what about the Haunted Inn? Oh, well, I stayed there and saw this. I'm sorry, you've known this for how long? How old were you when you stayed there and house-sitted for them? I mean, I, I think a lot of times they just blow it off. They don't even think of it as something to be concerned about. Oh, I don't know what that is. I'm going in the house. I got kids to feed. Uh, or I got, you know, I got a garden to tend to. Or I have horses to worry about. You know, a lot of them just can't be bothered. I mean, that's not an easy life to... To, to have and, uh, and and those people work incredibly hard and how many places like that do you think might exist and you know you know Don I don't want anybody coming on my farm looking at that weird shit so just keep quiet I mean you that's know a, that's an excellent impression by the way thanks uh, I worked hard on that <laughs> yes. but I mean you know, you never know I mean you don't you don't know I mean these people may not I mean you see how skittish they are with with you know, Ted's group even being involved with this. These people do not yeah. want to be overrun with a bunch of crazy people. Uh, yeah. So, Ted, do you think they could be angels? <laughs> yeah. I was so close to saying That's that. why we have to have Jacques Vallée on the show, because I want to ask him. <laughs> oh, if you do, I'll brain you. Jacques, do you believe in uh, demons, angels? <laughs> Eh, ha, ha, ha. You know me? Okay, let's get back to recording. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, I don't know. What left do we have to say on the subject here? Well, a lot, but I mean, I think we're running out of time and people are probably getting tired of listening. Uh, <laughs> don't don't put your issues on them, Jeff. They, I, might, they might love I, hearing us. Like I, I think we maybe let Ted go a little too early. <laughs>